Hello and welcome to the Gig Hero Podcast. My name is Ashley Green, but today it's not about me, it's not about what I'm saying, because we've got an absolutely brilliant and genius magician on the podcast who is just such a funny guy, such a talented magician. He's looking at me like, stop bigging me up, man, damn it! Damn it! I'm like, who, who's coming on? I'm, I'm getting excited. I thought I was the only one here. Oh, see what I mean? He's just great. But we've got David, David Williamson on the podcast. And honestly, if you haven't heard of the man, give him a Google. He's done so much in his life from multiple TV appearances, touring around the globe, around the globe with a massive magic show, The Illusionist, and also is the ringmaster for the new show, Circus 1903, which is coming to London. And I'm hoping to grab myself a little ticket for that to watch it. Um, but like, I know a guy. I know a guy. <laughs> yeah. Look at that. Benefits of a podcast. <laughs> but like, you do this incredible stuff. You have a career which a lot of entertainers would dream of. Like the Circus 1903, you come into the uh, Hammersmith Apollo, you've got like an audience of like, what, three and a half thousand people there. That is literally insane. But I want to know, David, how did this all start for you? Because you've done incredible stuff. But let's go back right to the very beginning. How did you start in this world of things? My question is, how do I get out of it? How do I get a real job with benefits <laughs> that'll take me through pandemics? That's oh. my question to you. That's why I'm signing up for the successful mentalist. I'm thinking of becoming a mentalist so I can sign up. Oh, I love it. I love it. So how was uh, it? You mentioned... I don't know. You know, I'm like everybody else in magic. I have that missing uh, DNA that made me chase after this dream of being a professional magician. Uh, you know, in the face of all adversity, you know, when parents and counselors and professionals in your life are like, what are you nuts? What do you mean you're going to do card drinks for a living? That's a hobby. That's not how to make a living. And this was back in the 70s. And, uh, you know, uh, it was, it, but you have to be crazy. You have to have a missing, something missing in your life, a hole that you know needed to be filled. Luckily, my parents were uh, divorced and fought a lot, so I just retreated into magic books. That's my. So, if you want to be successful in the entertainment business, find parents who fight a lot and don't like each other, and you know, force you to go hide under the covers with a magic book. No, I'm being facetious a little bit now. I wonder if I know any successful performers who come from happy homes. I don't know. That'd be a good little. Uh, That'd be a good little questionnaire to put up on your website. Uh, how many of you have two parents with a family that's still intact? Um, I don't know. I, you know, I got into magic when I was a kid. Got a magic set just like everybody else. Fascinated with it. I saw magic on TV. You know, uh, changed my life and saw you know Ricky Jay on Doug Henning's uh, first live special in 1976. I was 15 at the time. I mean, it was in the magic before that. And my hero was Mark Wilson and some of the other TV magicians. Well, he was the only one really that I knew of at that point. But then Ricky J came and it just rocked my world. At 15, your body's changing, your mind's changing, you're becoming a little bit of a, you know, counterculture. And 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 he just spoke to me with that long hair and a business suit, throwing cards, quoting Erdnace, doing the most beautiful sleight of hand I've ever seen on or off the screen. It was perfect. And that moment kind of sparked. I was like, that's, yeah, that's it for me. That's my path. And then, um, you know, I went to magic conventions all along uh, the while. My parents would drop me off at different magic conventions all the night or put me on a bus back in the day, put me on buses at 13, 14, 15, 16, 17. And, or, you know, and let me drive with strangers to magic conventions and stay in strangers' houses. How many people would do that th today? I wouldn't do it with my kids. It's a different world. But back then, my mom was a single mom. She was kind of a hippie mom. She'd drop me off at the like Abbott's Magic Convention with a pup tit. See you in a week, you know. And she'd go visit her sister up in Wisconsin or something. And I'd be stuck at a dairy field. My tent flooded, and but it was the greatest weekend of my life. My first magic convention, and I saw all these wonderful magicians, and uh, and I realized there was a community of magicians out there because these people were from all walks of life who came to this little Amish farm town and colon michigan which is nondescript little fishing village in the middle of uh, the midwest where the amish people would flee every summer and the magicians would descend upon the town and rent their houses out their farmhouses and we'd have a magic convention and a magic show at the high school and it was the greatest 
And uh, anyway, so I was hooked from an early age. So my heroes were all these not famous magicians. They weren't TV. They were, uh, you know, guys like Carol Fox, these Midwestern kind of, um, uh, you know, uh, Jay Marshall, people like that. I just love these old, crazy old uh, entertainers. And uh, I hung around them as a teenager. I hung around old 60 and 70 year old men who were hilarious, full of knowledge, full of war stories about showbiz. And uh, and just silly men too. They you, it was just so much fun to be around them. And I go, that's what I I can't wait till I'm sixty. All my life I wanted to be a sixty year old man so I could just do whatever I wanted and not care what anybody thought anymore. And uh, and here I am. I'm sixty one today. I've made it. I'm happy. I could walk in front of a bus and my career. Um, I made it finally. But uh, I mean that's the short story. I you know I did uh, table hopping. I did restaurants in my little town uh, in Ohio. I did found a dinner theater that was kind of showbiz adjacent. That was my first kind of step into a proper theatrical. I worked the tables at this dinner theater when I was in college and high school. And then I eventually made it to the stage where I would introduce the play every night and introduce the buffet. They let me, gave me the hosting. They let me be the host of the dinner theater rather than the table hopper. I could do the tables and then I would jump up on stage and I got my, uh, you know, some flight time standing in front of, you know, hundreds of people and they'd allow me to do one magic routine per every six to eight weeks. They'd change the show in the dinner theater. Dinner theater, do you have them there? No, dinner theaters where people come to eat and have dinner. And then there's a stage. It's all kind of, it's like a cabaret with dining. And then there's a play, like The Sound of Music or Paint Your Wagon or whatever the standard play was that they would show, you know, Man of La Mancha. I you know, know the places, yep. Yeah, 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 exactly. So that's where I, I spent uh, two years in Ohio in a dinner theater, and the owner loved me so much. When I moved to Washington, D.C., uh, my wife went to grad school there, so I followed her, basically, and I became a waiter in the afternoon to help pay the rent. And in the evenings, I found another dinner theater that the um, previous owner had contacted this owner and said, you need to hire Dave. He's a wonderful addition to the dinner theater. He can do magic for your guests and host the evening and so forth. So that was another two years uh, of training at the tables. You know, I, there's 300 people every night. So I was running for two hours or 90 minutes to two hours doing table magic. And then there'd be a play. And I would introduce that on stage and do one routine. Anyway, in, in the meantime, I was running out and doing private things and and so forth. And then uh, finally, I uh, from there, it's I hopscotch around. I was doing corporate gigs. I finally, uh, Bill Hurst, who was top corporate agent in the U.S. found out about me and started hiring me for corporate events. All the while, I was kind of doing some magic conventions. And also, I uh, ended up at Magic Masters, a magic shop. And that's where I picked up Rocky Raccoon and used to pitch the raccoon in magic shops in New Orleans, Atlanta, Baltimore, and Washington, D.C. And uh, got good at the raccoon, and he became part of the act. And... Uh, yeah, so from there it was a lot of corp for about twenty years. It was mostly corporate after dinner, corporate entertaining. Uh, that was my bread and butter all through my thirties and forties, I would say. And so, then, uh, yeah, go ahead. I, I, I was just really curious because um, you mentioned this like huge jump between just like the passion, the the getting dropped off and and camping and these magic conventions and that, and then just suddenly you're just like, yep. Yeah, then I started doing gigs and, and then I got these corporates and what I, I just wanted to ask and dissect, how did you specifically for you manage to change it from something you were so passionate about, something that you love to just slowly starting to monetize it to get those first few well, gigs? Yeah, no, uh, good question. I, so when I, you know, when the love affair was happening in my formative years, you know, in my teens, I turned to my mother, I remember, when I was, I don't know, 10, 11, 12, and I said, I'm going to be a professional magician. Leave me alone. Work on my brothers. My two brothers are the ones who are aimless and need help. I don't need any help. I know my path. I'm going to be a professional magician. So that's why she would drop me off at magic conventions. And, and you know, all I got for Christmas for about 15 years from the age of 10 I'd asked for a brick of bicycle playing cards. And my uncle uh, worked in Cincinnati and his printing company did all the forms for the U.S. playing card company. They did. They, they were like a vendor 
So every Christmas, it was a gross of, you know, I get 12 bricks of bicycles. And uh, that's all I wanted. That's all I cared about as a child. And one year it was, uh, he brought aviators. He thought he'd change it up and bring aviator backs. And uh, he saw the disappointment on my face and that never happened again. <laughs> I go, oh, thank you. You know, and he could read that. You don't like these? They're all right. <laughs> but anyway, so I've always been, no, it was that dual thing. I've always been a hobbyist, the magic nut. When I was uh, in my early 20s, I, like I said, I won a couple of competitions and I did the IBM and I did a few tax association magicians. I went to a couple of competitions and I was the flavor of the month at the magic conventions for a, uh, a year or two. You know, when, you, when you're in the convention scene and the competition scene, you're, you're kind of on the magazine covers and people want you to lecture for their clubs and stuff like that. So that happened in my early 20s and you work the castle for the first time and there's a little bit of buzz about you. You can imagine somebody in their 20s seeing their face on a you know mag the magazine they've been reading for 10 years so i can imagine i was a little bit big in the head darwin ortiz of all people we were working a magic convention together and i was uh, i just loved him i was a big fan of his he sat me down once he goes david i want to buy you lunch all right wow my hero is buying me lunch <laughs> he goes you owe it to yourself and your family to figure out how you're gonna make a living in this business. It's one thing to be the flavor of the month at the magic conventions. It's another thing to the hard, long slog of building a career and making a living so your parents don't have to carry you for the rest of your life, you know? And it was a, uh, like somebody threw a cold bucket of, where's this coming from? What about my magical skills and my charm and all, you know? No, no, no. You've got to start from basics, you know, get, figure it out, figure out how you're going to make a living, get serious, build a career, build a business that it's one thing to learn a move and then turn that move into a trick and turn that trick into a routine and, and then turn that those several routines into an act. That's all hard to do, but there's a longer arc. It's called a career to use that act to, uh, to sustain a career and that's the other side of it and i know that's what you deal with and talk about a lot um and that's why i talk a lot of people young people out of going into magic for a living it's hard it requires fortitude there's no easy path um you know back when i was doing it there was kind of you had agents and you had to physically i would fedex so many vhs tapes and promo packs with glossy eight by tens and resumes and you know in a, in a little folder you know you send your promo pack out fedex or through the mail constantly today they come to your website and you can upload anything it's so easy but man back then it was a slog just to get anybody interested in you and writing actual sending snail mail you know writing letters and including all your recommendations from other companies that hired you and cold calling and I was lucky in that the magic conventions uh, sustained me a little bit. So I've made a lot of connections through the magic community. And I think that's what's great about the magic community is I do encourage people to uh, enter a contest. It doesn't matter if you win. That's not the point. What matters is it's a showcase. And you get in the uh, you get in people's heads, you know, if you're a little bit different and somebody goes, ooh. I need somebody to replace me at this gig or I'm putting together a festival or I just got a call from a producer who needs somebody who can do something like this. And I remember that kid from the magic convention or that guy who had that thing, interesting thing he said during his lecture, you know, whatever it is. So I encourage people, magic conventions are great because it's a marketplace. It's a uh, bazaar, you know, and there are people there quietly watching who will tuck away your information. And I'm always, I've never regretted uh, performing at a magic convention or a festival or like the magic castle or something like that, because something, all, a connection always came out of it. So you have to put yourself out there and be around the people who are doing what you want to do. That's important, I think. Reminds me of um, that quote, you are the product of the five people around you. You've got to surround yourself with the I've never people. heard that, but that makes sense to me. Yeah, it's... Um, it, if you want to be doing something, go to where people are doing it and be around those people. 
and then you get the vernacular, you learn the shorthand, you understand, oh, that's how they live their life. They don't sit and dream about, you know, these. they're out there doing it. They're actually walking over and putting things and doing this and getting online and they have the tools and the connections. How did they build that? Well, it was from scratch and it was one step at a time, you know. Nobody laid it in their laps. It was just by not giving up. It was like mountains of rejection and just constantly trying. And then uh, then you reach a certain echelon where you, you go, oh, you look around. You know, it's like all these doors. You go up a ladder. There's a door at the top of the ladder. And then there's more ladders, you know. And then you take your rest. And then you go up one of those ladders. There's a door. And then you go up there. And there's more ladders. And, you know, it's just networking connections don't give up don't stop there's uh you have to be an optimist i think to be in this kind of business you have to be if you're a depressive type person and things are always getting you down and everybody's against you and the deck is stacked against you that's the wrong attitude i believe it's all about being an optimist you know and uh and you know what sustains me in my optimism is my love for what I do. If I do a show for a bunch of kindergartners and get paid $35 or a bunch of executives and get paid $3,500, it's the same to me. It's more fun with the kindergartners. But I, the opportunity to be able to do that makes me just as happy as the opportunity to do it for $3,500. You know what I mean? A bunch of jaded businessmen. <laughs> That's kind of soul crushing. That those corporate years, anyway. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I I don't have much more to say about it other than positive mental attitude is very important in this business. Absolutely. Uh, it reminds me. I just um, early today recorded a podcast with Richard Young, and he mentioned something about Piff the Magic Dragon. Um, and he was saying something like, I don't have backups. It will work. <laughs> I've got. Uh, I know it's. Yeah, gonna I don't work. have a backup plan. Yeah, I never did, and uh, it's dangerous, you know. Yeah, but if you have a backup plan, you're kind of accepting failure to a certain extent, and you never. In a gonna... way, yeah. In a way, yeah. You just you just keep failing forward, as they say. So you did mention something, and I, and I think this is really something interesting to touch on. You mentioned obviously about like connecting with people and and a really interesting way because a lot of entertainers will just focus on like, haha, I went out and get was getting gigs and he was like huh no i was just building my connections within the magic industry which is a wonderful industry to be in so people are so open it's that's why i love absolutely as well. yeah it's a, it's truly uh fraternal you know and it, it pe people are there to help you oh yeah you get yeah. everyone for all walks of life no matter if they're like a beginner or like a full-time pro like yeah. they they will help and it, that's what i love about the community but i was really curious because you said something about you do it because you're passionate about it. And I see so many entertainers, whether they're comedians, singers, pianists, they're in a jazz band, whether it's a magician, a mentalist, a hypnotist, doesn't matter. I see so many people that get to the point where they go, I want to make this a career. I love what I do. And I want to do this for the rest of my life. But then they end up monetizing it. And then it becomes a day job that they resent. Well, Vernon used to say that, the professor, you know, if you love magic, don't do it for a living. <laughs> you know, um, and I, I repeat that. To young people, because those who don't listen to me have the fortitude maybe to make it. They just have that passion. It's like, well, I'm sorry, I have nothing else that I want to do. So uh, you're I was falling on deaf ears, your advice not to do it for a living. It fell on deaf ears with me. And those who go, you know, that makes sense. Maybe they should follow that little voice that tells them, ah, use magic as a hobby. You know, the best magicians I've ever met were amateur enthusiasts like the most skilled and the most, you know what I mean? They they weren't, they didn't work crazy enough to do it for a living. They didn't resent it. And I have to tell you, uh, uh, being perfectly honest, there were times when during my corporate career, when I would come home and I would set my case down from a flight or something like that. And I didn't want to think about it. I didn't want to look, it became a bit of a job, right? It can be a grind, grinding it out. And, um, uh, so every once in a while, you have those moments where you go, what am I doing here? I need another hobby, you know, or something. I need, this is just, it's become a job. I don't love it as much as I used to. But I had that moment in my, I was in my kind of mid forties. I always tell this story, but I go, my yard, uh, my garden, as you call it, looks like 
crap. I'm going to get the tools. I'm going to go out there. I'm going to learn about it. I'm going to get the urdenace of the our magic of gardening, you know, and find and learn the flora and fauna of my and blah, blah, blah. And two weeks into this project, it's like somebody pulled a shroud off of my head and I'm sweating. I'm kneeling in dirt. I have dirt under my fingernails. And I went, what the hell am I doing? I hate this. And I started rereading my old magic books and I fell in love. I felt like a teenager again. I was catch. I brought my head up and looked around what was going on in the magic world after ducking out of it, you know, for a while. And all these young people had come into magic, you know, all these great, young, exciting performers and new things. And it, about, about the time the internet was getting up to speed and videos and so forth. And uh, I got my second wind. And I've been writing on that ever since. That's, that happened about, I don't know, what, uh, 20, almost 20 years ago. And it's like it rekindled my love for, I had to check out and test how much do I really want to do this anymore? And it turns out it only took me two weeks to decide, yeah, I'm just, I'm still bitten by that bug. It's still in there because it was all the young people coming into magic. And now I feel like a student again and I love it. And that's why I kind of started this slight school and it's got me, you know, uh, definitely engaged with the hobby side of magic once again, even while I'm making my living doing it. But these new opportunities have come up um, because of the economic downturn back in the 90s when the economy went away. I started doing cruise ships because that industry stayed afloat, no pun intended. And I had been getting calls from a cruise agent for years. I go, I don't want to do cruise ships. I, that's where acts go to die and be forgotten, you know, <laughs> sink their careers. And uh, so I didn't want to do it. But he goes, no, you'd be great on Disney Cruise Line for seven years. I said, no, no, no. I did one cruise ship once and I hated it. And then uh, I eventually was forced to say yes. And I loved it. The new Disney ships were beautiful. They treated you well. They paid well. The beautiful theaters. And I did that for 10 years, almost exclusively the Disney Cruise Line. And man, it helped. It really, it took me from a corporate entertainer to a stage, theatrical kind of. And that's what prepared me for the illusionists. When they came knocking, I was ready because of all those, uh, all that stage time on the Disney stages. Uh, I was ready for them. For a family audience you know yeah you've had the flight time <laughs> you've been going for it um but i wanted yeah. to ask um two things um one slight school can you tell us about that and mention where people can find that if they're interested um yeah. and then after that i've got another question for you well slight school so uh, long story short when the pandemic started my friend bill kalush who runs the uh conjuring arts research center the library ask alexander and so forth in new york he has been running an online university for a few years, and he'd been saying to me, I want you to teach magic, be one of my instructors, Michael Weber, Ossie Wynn, Jason England, all these people, you know. And I go, ah, I don't want to do that. I'm, I'm a horrible, I'd be a horrible teacher. I like the lecture because it's all about me. Look at me, look at my ideas. And, you know, lecture's just a pure ego. That's all that is. Uh, but I said, no, I'm not a good teacher. My idea of teaching magic is hand somebody a copy of amateur magician's handbook and tell them call me in 20 years <laughs> that's you'll learn more than sitting with me every day but he, he said you're doing it willie you're doing it he, he he's an old friend so i did it and i loved it after my first class we had like 15 guys in there and we talked all these subjects i got so excited i made a blog for them i made extra videos for them i'd go through my library crack open things make notes and we met every week for five weeks and i can't believe how much i loved it just hanging out with magicians online and talking these things through. And it wasn't so much teaching. I was learning as much as they were, you know, as sharing is what it was really. And um, so I said, I don't want this to end. So I started giving lessons online, one-on-one. -on -one. And then somebody suggested I turn it into maybe a little membership, you know, and have a little community. And I didn't know anything about that. So I said, okay, why not? Let's do that. And it's grown and grown. And we have a very nice, very vibrant little community at slight if you go to slight.school, it's not slightschool.com, go to www.slight.school, read about it. You can take lessons from me one-on-one -on -one, and they're very affordable. And then you, but you could also join our community for $9 a month. And we have Tuesday study sessions where we vote on and we pick a topic. Like last week was uh, jazz aces, this close-up trick. The week before that was thread magic or, and next week is forcing. It's every Tuesday, we 
uh, jogged at times for people around the world to join. And then once a month, we have a jam session where we just have pure fun and competitions and quizzes and things like that and just hang out. Uh, meanwhile, we have a very active online community, and uh, that's what it is. It's just it's just an online community where we share and teach and learn. And it's spe specifically kind of it's mostly close up magic. It's people who love magic and sleight of hand. There we go. So if anyone missed that, www.sleight.school and head over that's there. It. Yeah. Wonderful. I'll make sure to put the links in the show notes as well for the convenience series. Don't even need to type in. Scroll and click and you're there. But I think this does summarize perfectly something which has come up and something which I've noticed. You mentioned you, you took a break for a bit two weeks from magic uh, to do a bit of gardening and went, hang on, I love magic. <laughs> but do you think the way to have a sustainable career over the long run so that you're not burning yourself out so that you're not thinking ah oh, this is becoming a slog and just a job is it important to have other things outside of magic so you can have that switch off that downtime that's a leading question i think you want me to say yes um well i mean you know i don't know i i don't make i don't like to make pronouncements you know what i mean because one size does not fit all in life business it doesn't that's the exciting thing about magic today is uh, and the entertainment business today is <clears throat> when i was coming up there was kind of one path you had to kind of follow the route others had had uh had mode for you you know uh but today with the internet you can find your own audience you can build your own audience you can you can as many people are that are making a living in magic today that's how many ways there are to do it, right? Two people meet up at a magic convention. This guy's doing a more traditional thing where he's booking shows or doing corporate things through an agent. This guy's got his own online audiences. He's selling tickets and he's popping up and he's doing, I mean, I don't know. There's just so many ways to make a living in magic. Um, so, I mean, to your question about burnout and uh having a life obviously if everything you bring to your magic comes from within the world of magic you're going to be end up being a copycat i mean you're going to look like everybody else so yes you want to live a life and bring real life and that's i think gives you authenticity which is a word that i use a lot because i think that's what people respond to these days uh and so, I mean, you know, I have a family, I have a couple of kids that I've raised and talk about, you know, when you have kids and a family, your priorities completely change. I, I thought it was the world revolved around me or revolves around these people now. Wow, that's different than, uh, you know, what I do is kind of silly and, and uh, all my worries about my career and what people think of me and this and that and who said what to, about me online mean very little compared to what's really important in my life, which is my family and friends, you know. So yes, build a real life so you can put your magic life in perspective. That's what it does. It's like you didn't get that gig or somebody didn't laugh or something. So what? You know, you could take it in stride because it's not the most important thing in life. Now, you have these megalomaniacs <laughs> out there who think it is still do think it revolves around them and they are very successful because it's almost a um what do you call it a narcissistic uh you know problem in there that drives them i know you know celebrities who are just driven uh because of this unhealthy obsession with success so you know I don't know. What's the balance? What do you want to have in your balance? You want to be successful? If your goal is to be rich and famous, Vernon said, if you chase after money and fame, both will elude you. That's not necessarily true for somebody with a screw loose and just, you know, burns every bridge and just... I There were choices I could have made early in my career when I was out in Hollywood and there were TV offers coming. I could have stabbed plenty of people in the back and said yes and signed a couple contracts but it would have been a deal with the devil and my conscience wouldn't allow me. There were two points in my life, I don't want to go into it, where I had a pen and a paper. And I just couldn't do it because it was it was not good for my family. It was not good for the people around me. It was, it was weird, you know? It was like kind of these Hollywood cliches. So I was like, how much, I hate the entertainment business, especially Hollywood and TV and all that. I was like, I, I'm kind of, that's why I stick with like live entertainment venues and so forth. I went out to the snake pit of, 
Los Angeles for a little while and I found it distasteful <laughs> for the most part. But today you can have your own, you can do anything online, you can make your own TV show, you know. Mm. That's that's such a beautiful and well-rounded answer that, David. That's, it is? I thought yeah. I'd just talking in circles. I was hope, hoping to bamboozle no, you with no, my bullshit. That, no, that, that, that covers everything so well. And I think that's so true. I think there are people which are prepared to give up so much and then they sign on the dotted line and then it's a few years down the line and it's, was it worth it? Maybe. But for the most part, I think not. But I want to know, like, you mentioned authenticity and you mentioned being like a well-rounded person, having life and all that. When you look at your act, this is just, it's... I try not to. Beautiful. <laughs> well, I'll say it then. Like, it's just insane. Everyone I speak to about David Williamson is just like, the guy is just on a next level. He's just a genius. You mentioned like Circus 1903. Like, everyone's just like, it feels like the show is just built around David. Like, he he is that show. And I want to know, like, how have you been able to create like a performance and act which just? I don't know. I don't so have insane. an act. That's the problem. See, that's the problem. I'm still looking for. I'm so jealous of people who have these well-rounded shows and a beautiful act they can take anywhere and do. Friends. I'm a mess. I don't work on TV. You know, somebody tried to film me on TV, and it's like, you have weird energy. Could you stop moving around? So, what's that? Why it? What that wasn't the way you did it last time? You know, during rehearsal, I go. It's never the same twice, and I just. Uh, I don't know. I think I'm, uh, you know, neurotics uh, are hilarious on stage, hard to be with off stage. I know so many great magicians who are so neurotic and I love watching them on stage and then get off stage. You have to sleep in a hotel room with them for a week and you want to pull your hair out. But uh, <laughs> I'm not saying I'm a neurotic, but I'm just saying that I don't know uh, how to answer that question. It was kind of had some compliments in there. So I reject it all. <laughs> I'm uh, self-hating. So I don't like when people compliment me. Think you don't know me that well. Um, yeah, Circus 1903, I kind of wrote a lot of that, uh, all my bits. And in fact, a lot of the introductions and so forth. There was a magic historian named Christopher Bar Chris Barry, who's like the Mike Caveney or Jim Steinmeier of the circus world. He's a historian of circus. So he kind of wrote a lot of framework for the show. And then when it came to fill in the gaps and write stuff that's actually going to happen and actually going to be said, Mike Caveney and I took over and wrote a lot of Circus 1903 script. And then over time, when we made changes to the show, those guys weren't around. So I was left to writing uh, bits of business and, you know, because they would producers or director would come to me and go, David, we need five minutes over here so we can bring the elephant over there. What can you do? And I go, OK, now I'm a writer. I don't get writing credit, but, you know, so I have to come up with a whole lot of stuff because I'm the only one in Circus 1903, a two hour show that has a microphone. I'm the only one who talks, you know. And I introduce all the acts. I have to be there. I have to be present during the whole show. And uh, and I have, you know, several uh, chunks in there. But, um, yeah, you were, I, I just thought of a good quote. Uh, you, you asked me earlier, to the earlier question about career and burnout and stuff. I was talking to a comedian once, and he worked with some top, he was a writer for top TV personality. And he says, the game in comedy, at least, and I can see it in Magic Woman, but the game in comedy is to get famous before you get bitter. And most people lose the race, you know. And it's like, I can see that. I can see that. If you chase the fame and you don't achieve it, but if you're chasing fame and you don't achieve it, then you end up bitter if that was your goal, right? So your goal maybe is to enjoy life, have a career, keep moving forward. And whatever comes, comes. But, you know, keep reaching for the next strata. But don't be you're crestfallen if your mate becomes successful and you don't. You know what I mean? And what, you know, define success. So, anyway. Oh, I love that. See? You start hey. at the beginning of the podcast. You're like, ah, you know, I don't know if there'll be any gold in here. That David is some no, gold. It's all, it's all, it's fool's gold. It's tin, as you would say. It's tin. tin. <laughs> it's very good tin. Then <laughs> quality tin. It's, it's yeah. been hardened with experience. It has. Yeah. <laughs> so, how did you like, like, make the jump? Then, like, how? There was how no did jump. You... There was no jump. It was gradual. If you know, I went from table hopping 
to stand-ups, to a little bit of stand-up here and there. I mean, I was just shy. I still consider myself an introvert. I can you put me in a social situation and take away my deck of cards. I, I don't know what to say to people. I don't know how to be around people. But I can fake it pretty good. I'm getting better at it. I'm getting a little more comfortable in my own skin as I reach my golden years here, you know. But it's taken that long. And uh, But I used to tell my mother, take me to the country western bar when I was 15 in Dayton, Ohio, 30-minute drive, because they have an open mic night on Tuesday. Bunch of cowboy crooners. Why? I have to get up and do magic because that's what Henry Hay in the Amateur Magician's Handbook said. It's not to be done in your house or your bedroom. It's done. You, it doesn't. It's not magic until other people perceive it as magic. You know, you need other brains to witness it. So I was compelled to get in front of people from an early age. And I knew that's where I belonged, but it was a hard to get in front of people. How, how do you do it? Um, so, I mean, I did thousands of birthday parties, thousands of old folks' homes, thousands of little street fairs in my town. Uh, you name it, I've done it uh, just to get in front of people for no money. Sometimes I paid places to let me stand out in front of their business to do magic on the street with my little table and a T-shirt with my phone number on it when I was a teenager. You know, things like that. I mean, it wasn't just, I mean, I was constantly, constantly performing. I think that is the key anybody just do it get out there and do it don't worry about being paid at first just start doing it get out there do it for free do it do it for little to nothing just start doing it get out there and i think that's it you know but like you say you're an introvert and i'm an introvert and you look at a lot of magicians and a lot of us are all the same like yeah yeah one of the biggest problems is the getting out there part it's it's nerve-wracking it's so difficult and when you it go is. into the flow you can preempt the conversation you can preempt how people are going to react you can preempt the conversations afterwards that come from it but to just start and get out of your comfort zone how did you do that because that's, it was hard. That's the I had to struggle. force. I had to force myself. It was very, very, very traumatic and difficult when I was young, but I was compelled because it was like I got to do this ace trick. Uh, you know, my brothers I could do all day, but they were mean and they were constantly calling me out on it, which was go a good thing for me. Actually, it forced me to be sneakier and to think more about you know, and uh, that's why today everything I do is from a shuffle deck. Everything can be examined beforehand for the most part. Everything can be examined afterwards for the most part because that's the people I started, you know, those are the conditions I was forced to work under. And I still do. Um, but anyway, uh, when I approached, when I first started doing table magic, as uh, I was think I was 16, this restaurant uh, in my little village, my little town said, yeah, you can do magic at our tables while people are waiting for their food. That was my first kind of at the Winds Cafe in Yolda Springs. Mary Kay hired me. She still runs the place all these years later. Um, when I walk up to an older couple who look a little grumpy, you know, after they've, and I was shaking like a leaf, but within two minutes, they were smiling, they were laughing, they weren't acting like my parents. They were acting like kids, you know, feeding me little lines, riffing with me, a little banter. And I'd never talked to strangers like that before. You know, my parents' friends, but everybody was kind of... So it only took me about four or five tables to realize magic is the key that unlocks the child inside other people. And I have this key. It was like a secret weapon. I see these intimidating people, but all I have to do is put the key in the lock and turn it, and all of a sudden, they become children. It was like hacking, you know, uh, something in life. It's like the Matrix. I found a loophole. I found a little hack, a little door into a different way to be around people. You know what I mean? And that's always, I always remember that. So if I was ever intimidated by any group, and I'm not intimidated to walk in front of, if I'm intimidated by anybody, it's those kindergartners today. Them, I don't want to disappoint. The business leaders and the politicians, I don't give a shit whether they like me or not. But it's, uh, but that, it, I soon realized that it was the magic that allowed me, they saw me in a different light. You know, and they saw the experience and it just opened up and created a whole different little a little bubble there where, wow, you know, we're all having fun now. And I suppose that pulls you through because, you know, 
you yeah. get through that little bit of awkwardness and then yeah, you yeah, achieve boom, all of that. I go, oh, it even works for 12 people. It even works for 50 people. It works for 3,500 people. You know what I mean? Same principle. So uh, what, what is it like now then? Like you mentioned, uh, we've spoken a lot about how you started and got into this, but like, what's life like for you now? Now that you're doing the big shows, you've got so much that you do. Like well, you've got all of this incredible stuff. How How is that different? What's it like? I mean, it's nice because somebody else is doing my flights. Somebody else is uh, booking my hotel room. Somebody else, my clothes are pressed and ready when I walk into the dressing room and my props are laid on the table backstage. <laughs> That's nice, you know, to do the big production shows. But it's a grind. And, you know, it's a job and you're a cog in a big wheel. You have professionals on the light, you have a professional sound team, you have professionals, you know, uh, stage hands and so forth and riggers and grips. And you're expected to hit your spot, do your act and get out of the way of the next thing that's happening. You know, you're a cog, you're a part of the machinery. It's not about you, you know? And uh, so you have, that's a whole different uh, kind of mentality. You're part of a team, which is great. Because being a solo performer responsible for myself and the everything for so many years, you're self-producing this little show all the time to come in and you hand these things over to other people. At first, I was very afraid to do that, but you get relied on you know, the sound man and you become very, uh, you guys become very intimate. You know, he knows all your cues. Uh, the crew knows my act better than I do. If there's a, you know, a week break in a show, I come back and I go, what comes after that fork? Remember you do this, you say the thing and we do the sound and then you walk to your right. And there's a light. Oh yeah, that's right. Got to hit your marks. You know what I mean? It's a, uh, it's, it's a whole different uh, kettle of fish there, but it's nice. I mean, um, but yeah, the, the big tours are exciting and fun and I'm away from my family. I couldn't have done it when I was a younger man because my family was young and I didn't want to be away for weeks at a time when my kids were young. Uh, so it all kind of came at the right time in my life, you know, now that my kids are out of the house so I can go away. I just did a six month residency down in Florida in a big Spiegel tent with a new show called Presto, kind of illusionist, kind of light kind of thing, uh, with a team of magicians. And Chris Cox was there, my good buddy, and Yuho Jin and David Kaplan and so forth. And we did a team show. And, you know, I had to live in a condo and get over to the venue every night. And it's kind of a, kind of a grind. You know, it's a job, became a bit of a job, but it was so much fun having other magicians around and hanging out. So those residencies are one thing. A tour is another thing, you know, traveling every other day or every week. It's all new to me. It's still exciting. You know, I, I look forward to getting on a tour bus and sleeping. I barely fit. I'm 6'6". Six, six. I barely fit in the little bus sleepers, but uh, it's fun. It's exciting to me. But how do you prep for something like that? Because like you say, it's a big operation. There's a lot happening. It's, just not, it's not as easy as, yeah, I'm just going to turn up and do my stuff like how do you well i do prep? i turn up and i do my stuff i mean well initially when you come into it it's like yeah i'm just gonna you know mess around like there's everything that goes up to that point to be able to get to right this is what's going to happen at this moment like yeah there's a lot of i mean you know you have a good director hopefully and a good stage manager and you work it out uh, there are a couple of days of rehearsal before any tour and it, uh, all these little details are worked out but they do expect you to know it it's like it's like you know old school being in a band. Guys would show up. I expect you to know how to play that trombone. Here's the charts. Let's go. You're on tonight with the band. You know, you know how to read music. You know how to read charts. You know your experience. You work with other bands. You know when to come in and when to come out. You know where to keep your gear. You know where to, you know, uh, not to eat off the buffet before. You know, you you know all the stuff because you're experienced. So everybody's assuming you're a professional so once you get to the point of working in the illusionists or working in one of these uh production shows or something like that all the other professionals expect you to be a professional and so you got to know your stuff you got to know you can't come in and go uh i don't like that light hey you know i have an idea i have an idea if we move a thread across here and you light it from the back what do you mean light it from the back you know we we've already our lights are set and we got to do this thing and there's change you can't come in and be an amateur like that. Well, why can't I just, you know, and blah, blah, I'm going to do this and I want to do that. I want to, it's like, dude, you got 10 minutes, come in, hit your mark, do your act, 
get out of here. <laughs> if there's any other logistic, you know, it, it was really uh, interesting to me. The first time I did the illusionist, they go, okay, David, you're new to the show. What are you going to do? Okay, I'm going to walk out on stage. Wait a minute. What do you mean you're going to walk out on stage? The stage is 60 feet wide. So we got to walk, watch you walk for what, 10 seconds, 30 feet. What's happening during those 10 seconds? Is there music? Is there a lighting thing? What's happening? Why the, we people have to wait 10 seconds to watch a man walk? Why can't we just find you there? You know, the lights come up and you're already where you want to be. Okay. All right. Let's do that. Now I'm going to bring somebody up from the audience. Wait a minute. Who are you bringing up from the audience? I don't know. I'll pick somebody. Where are they going to be sitting? Well, it depends. I need the right kind of person. Oh boy. Bring the lighting guy over, bring the choreographer over, bring the stage manager, have a big meeting. How long is that going to take? I don't know, 20 seconds to walk from their eye, middle of the audience, down the aisle, up the stairs, then those 30 feet across the stage. What's happening during that? People are clapping for 30 seconds. They're clapping their hand. No, they've done enough clapping. The guy hadn't done anything. Why? The so it was like, oh, so what we end up with is the act before me, the stage goes dark and boom, lights come up. I'm standing uh, in the aisle near the stairs with a man already shuffling cards because they don't have any time for it. They don't have any patience for Hi, what's your name? Whoa, where are you from? What do you do for a living? Uh, give him a round of applause. You know, all this stuff as he walks up and get, comes up to the city. It's like, no, he's already shuffling cards. Hi, this is uh, Ashley. He's a magician. He's from so-and-so. As we're walking, follow me, Ashley. Fun, buncy music, you know, give me those cards all shuffled up. You're going to do, and then boom, we're into it. You know, within 10 seconds, we're both center stage and we've got cut out all the admin that's boring and we're, it's showbiz. How do you, so these things that are, it, it occurred to me that these uh, people who are building these shows know how to, what showbiz is. Showbiz is not admin. Do me a favor, hold this, put that over there. Da, 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 da. It's a, these are opportunities. I call it, uh, I call it connecting tissue. Having somebody shuffle the deck, what happens during that shuffling? We're just standing there watching them. Do I have banter? Is that That's an opportunity for show business. The shuffling of the cards, potentially, if you think about it right, could be more fun than the stupid trick you're about to do. You know, if you want it to be, that's an opportunity. So all these boring moments, walking up on stage is an opportunity for fun, showbiz, something interesting and fun to see, memorable moment, you know, uh, shuffling, signing your name, whatever it is, you know, having fun. And uh, so that's kind of what I learned from these production shows. And over time, we actually find these opportunities during the course of a show or a tour, you know, usually early on within the first few weeks. And then that's cemented in the rest of the run. Uh, it's not all decided on the day one. So if they trust you, you can make little changes over time and just make it better and enhance it, make it better. Uh, because once the director leaves, the director doesn't go on the tour. He's not staying for the whole show. He's gone. He might give notes from email or something like that from watching videos. But any big changes are kind of baked in early on, you know, and they don't want you to change from that. Everybody expects you to do the same thing, kind of. Cool. That's intense. <laughs> wow. Wow, that's some real insider information there. And as we kind of like get to the end of the podcast today, for anyone thinking that is definitely where I would love my career to go one day, how would you even start to get into that? I how don't know, because I, I never thought that. I didn't, I mean, when I was coming up, there was no such thing as like The Illusionist or The Circus Night, but there were shows. I never dreamed I would be on these stages traveling the world like that. I thought I was going to be like my heroes in magic working uh country club or a you know uh, a corporate dinner or something like that and maybe be on a, a guest on a tv show doing a little card trick or something like, you know that that was too much to hope for so i didn't set out going that's my goal it was just like my goal was the career just to keep doing what i love that was always my goal and it still is and uh these opportunities came along and i just would say yes to them and you know it's not like i worked towards being in the illusion somebody saw me in another show mark Kalin. actually we did a show together in greece and he saw me and he goes he watched from the wings the raccoon routine every night and he was with the illusionist he told simon painter i found your next you know host and uh i was hobson light jeff hobson 
was the killer entertainer and hosted the illusions for years and years he was the original host and then whenever they split off and had a b team they go okay we need that poor man's hobbs and get williamson in here <laughs> i feel like this comes back to what we kind of said earlier pursue fun over fame and i feel like it comes around to that and if opportunities arrive by all means go with them but as long as you're having fun yeah. along the way exactly i think that's what it is just and it's like what i tell my kids you know whenever there's a setback or they're not sure or feel, things feel stagnant it's like just put one foot in front of the other just keep moving forward with a positive mental attitude i think that's the best you can that's really that's really it you know i love that i love that well david i'm going to ask you the big question uh, at the end of the podcast we have an audience in about 130 countries around the world now from amateurs to full-time pros to magicians non-magicians comedians and singers all wow. in this because they want to just do better and go further is there one final message you'd like to say to either summarize what you've said today or give a piece of advice or share a bit of wisdom the stage I is yours. I don't have I don't have wisdom I don't have advice. Here's nothing everyone that's the end of the podcast okay, <laughs> <laughs> I don't have anything like that. I will say this. Um, when old guys like me give advice, I hope there's a little voice in your head that goes, mm, I wonder if that's true. Don't take anything anybody says as gospel. There are no oracles in magic or in showbiz. No oracles. I don't think there are. Create your own path. Do follow you, you know, follow your instincts and uh be bold. And the other thing I would say is be kind to the people coming up behind you. Uh, be the person you wish you would have had in your life when you were coming up in the business to the next generation coming up behind you. And that's how magic uh, progresses, not through books and downloads and DVDs. It's through people sharing and being kind and giving a helping hand to the people coming up. You can, you know who they are coming up behind you. Uh, and be that person you wish you would have had in your life when you were coming up. I love that. I love that. There you go. There's another bit of your brilliant tin that you've dropped. A little tin, a little full gold. <laughs> oh, well, thank you. Well, for anyone that wants to do their stalking and follow you and all of that, or maybe book a ticket to one of the incredible shows that you're in, <laughs> where can people find you and where can people uh, you do their stalking? You can go to davidwilliamson.com. has all my links there. Yeah, we are. And we'll make sure to tag that in the bottom. We'll put all of the links for the stuff you said um, today. Slutcher's Slight School and DavidWilliamson.com. So if anyone wants to check that out, links are all in the show notes below. But David, I just want to say, honestly, thank you so much for one being so open. Oh, so it's honest. such a pleasure talking to you. Thanks for, thanks for asking it's, me. It's, it's really been a great podcast. Honestly, there's, there's so much. It's really been nice to dive into it and get a, a true insight into what it's like in your world. So thank you. Thank you for coming <laughs> okay. on. Okay. Thanks.